Uh, my name is Craig Jarvis. I am uh, fairly new at Village Church. Uh, my family and I, we are uh, currently on a project to plant a church with you, duplicating what Village Church is doing here somewhere else. We don't know where yet, hopefully close by. And we are uh, excited to be able to do that. We've uh, been developing a relationship with your elders and your staff, and it's been wonderful. Very, 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 very good for us. Uh, hopefully good for them. And the Lord has been laying on us just this real burden for uh, duplicating a healthy, growing ministry somewhere else nearby. And every time I get to preach uh, to you, preach and share worship with you uh, on a Sunday, it's a real privilege. So thank you for, again, uh, allowing me to come in and, and open God's Word with you. It's, it's exciting, and it's a real honor to be able to do that um, with you this morning. Okay, now that that's aside, let me tell you about life in Nova Scotia. Where I grew up, it was cold all the time. Uh, yeah, do you like that segue? Yeah, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that's, that's, a, that's a professional segue right there. So Nova Scotia is cold all the time. In the winter, uh, the ice would form over the lakes and we would go up, my friends and I would take our shovels and our sticks and our, our pucks and we would go up there and we would uh, shovel off the ice and we would play hockey on these, on these, uh, these, these homemade rinks. Now, nobody has been, been up there, it's, so a lot of times the ice isn't quite what it seems to be, and it still amazes me that my parents would let like 12, 11, 10-year-old kids go up in the middle of the woods. They didn't know where we were. If we came back early in the day, they got mad at us. Do you remember those days? Uh, but, so we were out, and we would uh, shovel off the ice. One thing we had to do before we did anything else was we had to test the ice. We had to find out where the weak spots were, where the rocks were, where the, if there was uh, debris in the ice. Because if you're playing hockey and you're skating along, you're going full throttle, and then all of a sudden you hit a branch in the ice, a lot of times you're going to keep going full throttle but not on your skates anymore. And so it can be very dangerous. And um, as, as, we, as we learned how to find uh, uh, healthy, solid ice, uh, we, we experienced kind of what it was like to, to be able to, uh, to test wisely so that we could play wisely on, on that ice. And today we're going to be talking about the will of God. I'm picking right up in Ephesians chapter 5. If you're there already, that's great. We're going to pick up in verse 17. But the, the thing about the will of God is that it's, it, sometimes it's very obvious, very revealed, very open and, and, and obvious, and that's wonderful when it is, right? Isn't that great? Sometimes it's hidden. Sometimes it's harder to find. And sometimes you've got 12 good decisions that you can make. None of them are bad, but you've got to make one. And so what I want to talk to you about this morning is the conditions that would need to apply in order for us to be able to make good, conscious wise decisions in our lives, and how to test and see that those decisions are indeed God's will for us. Now, this is a topic that probably, knowing fueling, he could take six months to go through this topic alone. Uh, and, and probably to do it justice, it needs more than 40 minutes, but that's what I have. And so I'm going to try and go through this topic with you by introducing you, first of all, how we got here in the book of Ephesians, why Paul is even talking about this, and then see if we can apply it to our own lives so that we can walk out of here with more confidence uh, in what God is calling us to do in, for his will. Look at Ephesians 5.8. Back up a little bit before we get to 17. I want to remind you that uh, Pastor Fueling talked a little while ago about you were dark, now you are light. This is a continuing conversation of that verse. At one time, you were darkness, now you're light in the Lord. And the next admonition is, walk as though you are children of light. Verse 17 picks up directly on this phrase, this 
verse, in verse eight, because he talks about a bunch of other things and then he gets down to, well, he actually picks it up in verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk. The word then is there because it's, it's after, after all it's saying, you're children of light, then be careful how you walk. Be careful then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And so Paul is telling us, okay, be wise in how you walk, how you progress through your life. Look at how he ends there. Look carefully then how you walk your life, not as unwise, but as wise. Pay attention. Walk smartly. Look carefully. As you live out your life for Jesus Christ, walk as somebody who's wise. And the question is, why? Why would this be so important? Okay, can I be foolish sometimes? Well, the next verse, verse 16, explains to us why that's the case. It's because we need to make the best use of the time because the days are evil. Now, do I need to convince anybody that the days are evil here? Uh, it's almost like you turn on the TV and the days continue to get more and more evil. Things are going on even, even to the church nowadays, to our brothers and sisters all around the world, where they're experiencing days of evil like they've never experienced since the Middle Ages or even from the first century church. These are, this, this is the time we've been given. So make the best use of your time because these days are evil. Why? Because you don't get your time back. Time is a valuable commodity. Time is something that, that people would rather give donations to a project than time because time is a, pro, is, a, is a valuable commodity. I mean, how much money do we spend on trying to extend our time even longer, right? I'll pay somebody lots of money if they can teach me, give me another year on my life or, or help me not to have a heart attack at 55, 57. You know, I get two more years. I'll pay somebody a lot of money so that they can guarantee me a little bit more Time. time is a precious commodity, so make the best use of your time because the days in which you live are evil. And then the key verse is verse 17. Therefore, that's why the word therefore is there for, therefore do not be foolish, but, and here's the key, understand what the will of the Lord is. So here's the key thought. This is how, my, how you might say it. Don't be foolish, be wise in how you live your life because the season in which you live will make demands on you and you must be able to know God's will in order to live your life to its full potential. Easy, right? Not so much, because probably everybody's sitting here going, okay, I wanna do the will of God, but how do I do that? How do I know the will of God? Before we get to that question, let's deal with the first question that we should be asking before that. Does God want me to know his will for my life? Does God want me to know what he wants me to do? And the answer to that is simply yes. The reason I know that is because God's will is constantly revealed to me in, in a lot of different ways. God tells me to redeem the time. Make sure that I'm using my time for his glory. And by the way, the, the verse that we read in here that talks about time, make the most use of your time because the days are evil. There's a time that is chronolo chronologically understood. Like, okay, now you're sitting here in church and then after that you're gonna have a pot roast and then after that you're gonna have a nap. That's the chronological time of how your day might go, all right? But there's a different use of time in the Greek, and that's the word chronos. Uh, chronos is the, is the word for um, um, the flow of time. Kairos is the, is the other word, and that's like a significant portion of time. 
This is a time that is expedient. It is a time that this is the time. The time is now. You've heard that before? Sorry for bringing politics into it. Our time is now. That's what we're talking about. Jesus used this phrase, actually, when they asked him to do a miracle for, uh, for his mom. You remember that? To turn the water into wine. And instead of uh, answering them, he said, my time has not yet come. Do you remember that story? Well, th- that is the word that Jesus used there as well. It's a significant portion of time that we are living our lives in. And so God says, this is your time, and what I want you to do is redeem the time by living out my will in your life, my will for you. Let's deal with the easiest way to understand God's will first. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3, uh, we, have, we have an illustration of God's revealed will. In Scripture, God gives us his revealed will over and over and over again. This, this is pretty plain, right? For this is the will of God. Anybody confused? No, this is the will of God. And what is the will of God? Your, your sanctification. That you abstain, a little bit more, from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of the, uh, of the Gentiles who do not know God. So God's will is for you to be holy in your body, holy in your sanctification, right? To move in a direction that looks a lot more like God. And downtown, there's, they're celebrating a sexual um, uh, awakening uh, in our time that, that is happening uh, in our lifetime right now, uh, a celebration that, um, that would not be acceptable to what God reveals in his, in his revealed will. So there's certain things you can read out in Scripture that explain to us this is God's will. And, and there's all kinds of verses like that. There's one in 1 Thessalonians 5.8. Again, give thanks in all circumstances because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So are you telling me that when I'm miserable or things aren't going right, that, that you can look at me and say, hey, you gotta give God thanks in that circumstance? And the answer is yes, because that's the will of God. Those are easy. In fact, in verse, uh, as you read by in, uh, in the verses that we're in, in uh, Ephesians chapter five, lest you think this is difficult, right in the next verse it says, don't get drunk with wine, right? Because that leads to debauchery. So that is the will of God. It's pretty plain and simple. Or verse 20 says, give thanks always. Or verse 21, one of my favorite ones, Ephesians 5, 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Any confusion, These, this is the will of God. But on other things, when it's not revealed in scripture on other things, there's a day-to-day will for me that is a little harder for me to figure out. It's a little bit more vague. God has a day-to-day will for me that, that is going to be different than God's will for you. It's not revealed in scripture. Both of us should be sanctified. Both of us should be giving thanks always. That's pretty plain. But what God wants you to do on a day-to-day basis may not be what he wants me to do. In fact, I would say it's definitely not. The person next to you is not on the same life journey you are. My sister-in-law, she uses stencils and she puts stencils up on the wall and then she paints on the stencils and then she takes the stencils down and it says Jesus on the wall or whatever it is. And so you look up there and you go, wow, that looks really good. Some people love taking your life or, and taking the stencil from their lives, putting up on the wall and painting and saying, you should be just like me. But this is not what God's revealed will or God's day-to-day will for us is all about. God's day-to-day will for us might involve a spectrum of different choices. Some of them may be outright bad. You can notch those right off the list and not do those, but a lot of them are pretty good. In fact, you might have 12 good choices to choose from, and there might be a whole lot of gray area, and you might not be knowing exactly what I should do in this particular circumstance, 
So the thing that I would say is veer away from somebody making you into their life journey. Don't do, you're, that's not God's will for you. God's will for you is to walk his life journey for you. And it's unique, made for you. And so how do I know that God's, what God's stencil is for my life? Well, some will buy a Honda and some will buy a Ford. Some will live in Illinois and some will live in Wisconsin and some will work for the unions and some will work for private businesses. It, that's the journey that you have in life. It doesn't necessarily mean that one decision is bad and the other decision is good. It might mean that one decision is wise and one decision is wiser, but it has nothing to do with black or white. It's just our day-to-day decision-making process. In this way, God's will is different for every person who has ever been born. God's purpose in redeeming us is for a greater purpose than we could possibly imagine. So how do I find out what God's plan is for me? How do I start discovering what God has prepared for my future? For this question, I would go to Romans 12 and verse two. You're probably familiar with this verse, great verse. Don't be conformed to this world. That's the stencil, by the way. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. God's purpose in redeeming you, if you know him as your savior, was so that his will could be done through you. His goal in redeeming you was not to give you heaven and that you might muddle through this life until you get there. His goal in redeeming you was to give you a purpose and a plan for this life as well as for the life to come. God's goal was to redeem you, not just in your mind and soul, but everything about you, your dreams for the future, your decision-making processes now, everything about you, God wants to redeem. Your tongue, as we talked about last time, um, God's goal in redeeming me is to give me a means of understanding how he does this transforming work in my life. And it's a a day-to-day process. Transformation does not occur once and then we never have any transformation again. Transformation is a regular process of decision-making that makes me look more and more like Jesus Christ. And it lets his will bleed more and more out of my life. We are the active agent here. Look at the, look at the words in red. That by testing, who might discern? Who does the discerning what God's will is? I do. You do we might discern what God's will is for our lives. In fact, in Ephesians 5 and verse 10, the passage that we're looking at this morning, the same chapter, God says to us through Paul, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Isn't that a little vague? Isn't it a little hard? I mean, try, you know, if you were to come in and counsel with me and I were to say, okay, we're done counseling now. From now on, just try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. That'd be like, you are, you are just not giving me a whole lot to work on here. Tell me what to do, right? Don't we all want that? Tell me what to do. And after you tell me, then I can decide if you're a moron and I'll do something else, right? That's usually how it works. We want God to write it in the sky so that we know what God's will is for us. But that's not how God works. There is something amazingly complex in the, in the uh, attributes of God that he enjoys working with us to establish his will through us. And so it's a lifelong process of trying to discern what God's will is for our lives. Again, that is not the revealed will. That's plain and simple in here. And it cannot be changed. Hasn't been for many years. And it cannot be through us either. 
This is the day-to-day will of God. So the question I have at this point is, how can I get better at discerning God's will? How can I get better at discerning what God's will is for me? And it comes down to that illustration I used at the very first. It comes down to one word, and that is testing. We have to be able to get better and better at testing out what God's will is for our lives. The more we do this, by the way, the easier it becomes. At the first, when you're a brand new believer, you're questioning everything. Is what I used to do what I should be doing now? And that's fine. But as you grow in the Christian life, for those of you that have been believers for any length of time, this testing becomes faster, easier, and and, and almost like second nature to us. But testing is a thing that we need to do on a regular basis. Sometimes it will take us time to make our decisions, and sometimes we'll need to make them in a matter of seconds. When I was at Word of Life, uh, Word of Life Bible Institute, I was studying because I wanted to put one year of Bible under my belt so I could go home and make some cash. I was going to work in business. And I, I, when I was there, the Lord pressed on my heart like never, ever had I experienced before in my life. And, and I can use no other word for it, but he called me into the ministry. And so I began to look at Bible colleges. I didn't know anything about Bible colleges. Uh, so I was looking at the ones I could afford, the ones that may, maybe might be close to home. There was nothing close to home. Um, the ones, ones, that, ones that might work for one reason or another. And it came down to basically a couple different questions. Where are my friends going? What can I afford? And does it look like it will provide me with what I need in order to do ministry? And so I looked, I came down to two. I really wanted to go to Cedarville University. I wanted to go there, and uh, it, it, uh, some of my friends were going. It provided me with what I needed, and I couldn't really afford it. And then I looked over here, but I, I could stretch. I could do what all the kids do now, uh, take out lots and lots of loan, pay for it the rest of my life. Or I could go to Tennessee Temple University because a lot of my friends were going there. They provided what I needed, and they took Canadian money at par. Because I lost on the exchange rate, see, because Canadian nickels worth like, or American nickels worth like a buck in Canadian. So when I was, that was back then, now it's a little different. But when I was looking at it, then I came down to, okay, both have good options, but I think because it seems more logical, I'll go to Tennessee Temple. So I went to Tennessee Temple and I got to work on campus. I washed windows on campus. Uh, so I, I was known as the, as the window washer, and I had to keep all the windows clean inside and out on, on campus. And I loved my job, um, but there was one building that had cleaner windows than anywhere else, and that's the building where Beth worked. <laughs> she was the welcome coordinator for the school. So when new people came in, she was sat at the desk. They did a very wise thing. They put Beth right out in front and said, hey, smiling face, welcome to Tennessee Temple. So anybody would go, I want to go there. So they put Beth in the front. And I, uh, I got to choose what windows I wanted to wash. So the windows at the Welcome Center were the most glittering windows you've ever seen in your life. I always started and ended with the Welcome Center windows. Well, so here's the thing. After a matter of time, Beth and I, after much pursuing on my side and much resisting from hers, we ended up getting together, getting married, and now we have four daughters. My decision to go to Tennessee Temple led to my relationship with Beth, which led to four little girls that are the highlight of my life. You might look at that and you might say, you might say, well, it's chance that you ended up there. And I would say it definitely isn't. 
Because even though it seemed like a random decision at the time, it was exactly where God needed me to go because quite frankly, if that hadn't happened, you would not see me here this morning, which might be good for you, but it would be bad for my girls because they would not exist and they wouldn't have a little dog running around named Bailey and all of those sort of things. It's interesting when you look back on your life, how many minor decisions did you make that led to long-term consequential actions later on in your life? It's almost scary. And that's what makes this complex conversation that we're having about the will of God, that's what makes it so difficult is because every one of us know for every decision we make, they might have long-term consequences and it can almost paralyze us to the point where we don't want to make a decision. The question didn't to, to go to Tennessee Temple or to go to um, Cedarville didn't come down to what was right. It came down to what did I want to do? What was pertinent at the time? And it ended up being the right decision because ultimately it wasn't me making the decision. Although it was, it was God doing his will through me. These decisions that we make on a regular basis involve uncertainty, complexity, high risk consequences. And there are numerous gray issues, relationship, interpersonal relationships. Each decision that is minor, when we make them, once we understand how long-term effects might, might affect us, can paralyze us from ever making a decision. But you need to know right from the get-go that God's will is not meant to be hidden from you. It's God's determined will that his will be done through you. And he goes to extreme lengths, lengths that you could never even imagine, only if you look back on your life and see this complex ribbon working through your life that you can look back and say, God is awesome because he has done something great through my pithy life. The more, you, the more you, you have confidence in this and the more you make decisions based on that reality that God wants his will to be known to you, God is not hiding his will from you, the easier it is for you to make decisions. And when Michael and I were talking, we, Michael called it your gut. I love that. It's your gut that makes those decisions. And so I would say that testing over time as we test God's will, testing develops more and more with your gut. By the way, Fortune 500 companies teach this very, very thing. Fortune 500 companies will say, companies will succeed if the person at the top leads with a core value. If they have a core, core issues that grow stronger through time, they're able to make better decisions, faster decisions, if they build that core value because those decisions come out of their core value. That, however, is not a Fortune 500 idea. That is a biblical idea. And it was written a long time before there were anything like a Fortune 500 company. It was written way back in James chapter one and verse three, and it says this. Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete. Actually, let me back up one before that, all right? The testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And steadfastness, let it have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all and without reproach. In other words, he won't hold anything back and it will be given to him, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. That's your gut. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not think that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. As you develop a rela stronger relationship with Christ, as you develop a stronger understanding of what his revealed will is, as you learn more about who he is, you'll have an easier understanding, easier time making decisions based on that core value. 
Sometimes because of fear, we can be our own worst enemy and our doubt can paralyze us. And that's seen way back in the book of James. But the goal of our testing is to see that the will of God is done through us to increase our faith. God uses our decision-making process to teach us more dependence on him for love, grace, faith, and to glorify him through our lives ever increasingly as we live. Testing is what causes me to learn to be more and more familiar with God's will for me. This is the key. The key word is testing. And so I've put down a couple of different things that ways that you can test to see whether or not this gray area or these, one of these 12 good choices is God's choice for you. So the first question you could ask is, what is? What, what is true about what God says about this decision? Is it found in here? Is there anything that God says about this decision that is already in his revealed will? So if you have a decision to make, find out what it says in light of God's word. All right? Uh, then you have the what ifs. What options should I be considering? What different, like for me, it was Tennessee Temple or Cedarville. That's kind of what it, it boiled down to. What options are in front of you? And when you look at options, always look for open doors. We're doing this church plant with this church, with Village Church, because God continues to fly these doors open. And I can't ignore that. And so I said, okay, God, I'm willing to walk down this path as long as you lead me down this path, uh, as long as you fly those doors open and show me that it's your will. So the, those are the what ifs. What, what should I be considering for this time that God has given me in my life? What doors are opening now? Then you have the what woulds. What would a godly person do in my circumstance? And so you go for advice. Ask somebody, what would you do if this was your decision to make? Then you have the what coulds. What could God do through me if I make this decision? What could God do if I participate in this with him? What could God do if I surrender to do this for him? What could God do in me and what could he do through me? And then you ask, ask the question, what drives? What is driving me to make this decision? What's really at the root for why I wanna do this or why I feel like I'm being led to do this? The Holy Spirit will confirm those drives for you. Sometimes you might need to do prayer and fasting. God actually, through Jesus Christ, he taught us. He didn't say, if you pray and fast. He said, when you pray and fast. And so when we are seeking to become more and more like Christ, prayer and fasting has become a regular part of our lives because we're constantly seeking God's will in those gray areas. All right, so, and then the last thing I put up there, what, what do I really wanna do? Because quite frankly, God will most likely not ask you to do something you're not hardwired to do. Uh, now, for some of you, like I, I remember talking to people that work with, with children, I always have these conversations, especially junior hires. I go, man, that is a high calling to work with junior hires. Um, that, is a, that is like a oh, moment you must add in your life because working with junior hires, man, they test you, they pull you, they abuse you. They, I mean, it is, and there's no stopping. It's like, it's like a rubber band that never does unwind, right? And so, but people who work in junior high, some of my best friends, because I worked in youth ministry for a while, and, uh, and they would come to me and say, we had a great day in junior high today. And I was going, that must have been like, that's had to be the, the, had to be God at work in some amazing, like a burning bush moment. Because, because if I worked in junior high, I would not have a great time. They work in junior high, they have a great time. Here's, here's the thing. What drives me to want to do this it doesn't mean that every time you work in a ministry, you're gonna go out of there smelling roses and eating gravy. It's not all gravy and roses. But what it does mean is that when you go home, you're gonna have a sense of fulfillment like you've never had before. 
You're going to have a sense like God really used you in a way that he's never had used you before. And quite frankly, it could be something now that is like working with junior high and something later that's working with, you know, senior high. Who's to say? Different points in your life, God calls you to do different things, but every time God calls you to do something, he will give you an impacting feeling that you're, you're getting it done. And you will have a sense of completion and fulfillment like nothing else you've ever done in life. God gives you that drive. Quite frankly, that also, 1 Corinthians 12, is a biblical uh, truth that God gives us the gifts to use in these ways. So testing the ice, testing is a natural way for my gut, not my physical gut, but my gut to develop over time. And this does get easier. The rubric of God's will dominating my life overall eventually transforms my mind into a decision-making tool that gives me more and more confidence that God is always in control. All right? Which brings me to the, the next thing. Testing causes me to be confident. Um, and this is really, this is a, a key point for knowing what God's will is from a day to day. God's will is not withheld from you. It's, it, God wants you to do his will. He's not withholding it from you. He wants to reveal it to you because he wants you to live your life confidently. If you're always making decisions thinking, oh, I could go off the rails, I could be out of God's will, you will never be confident. And God's will is meant to make you a confident person. As we just read in James chapter one, we also read in Philippians chapter one and verse six. Paul says, I am sure of this. In other words, I'm confident that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Do you know what that's talking about? That is not talking about heaven. What is that talking about? It's talking about your time. This time that you have right now. Until the day of Jesus Christ, that's when you get to see Jesus. But until then, God is working out an amazing, complex uh, life for you where you are able to see and do his will on a regular basis as your gut develops and you become more like Christ and make these decisions so that his light can be seen through you. That's why Paul says, I'm confident he who began this work in you will complete it. I don't know what that completion is for you. I don't even know what it is for me. All I know is that today I need to be faithful in what God has called me to do, confidently doing his will and not fearing the future, but living by faith. My confidence in that way doesn't lie in me. Notice this, I am sure of this, I'm confident. He who began a good work, my confidence lies in what God is doing through me. So both are true. It is God's job to keep me on track in my day-to-day -day choices but it is my job to stay on track by conforming daily to who he wants me to be. All things will then work together for good, Romans 8, 28. So you might be sitting there thinking, well, surely it can't be this easy, Craig. Uh, isn't there a risk of me missing out on God's best? And I would say emphatically, no. It is a dangerous thing to live our lives with the fear that we will always miss God's best for us. God's will is not hidden. It's meant to be revealed. He wants to work through you. He reveals his will in you as you conform to him, as you conform to his image and make decisions. God's will is that his will is done in you. Let me ask you this question. How long has God been in control? Right forever, eternity. How long have you been alive? My birthday's tomorrow, I'll be 46. There it is, out in the open. Yeah. June 27th, best day God ever made. That is, that is the day that I was born. I've been alive for 46 years. Are you telling me 
that a 46-year-old individual can thwart the eternal purposes of an almighty God. That is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. God is in absolute control, and we are not. Our goal is simply to conform and keep making the decisions that would be balanced on God and what he would have for us. So you might say, well, Craig, that's frustrating. How can I know I'm doing God's will? Here's confidence. Confidence is knowing that God's will for me begins and ends with me loving him, obeying him, and enjoying him. If you can love God, obey God, and enjoy God, make your choice. Ecclesiastes 3.12 says this, I perceive that there's nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to us. <laughs> is that great? In other words, God wants you just to enjoy your life. Make your choices. Don't be afraid. Enjoy your life. Golf on Sunday. Dance when you're happy. Get away to be alone. Get together with friends. Sing in an Uber. Enjoy McDonald's McNuggets and a large Diet Coke. Do yoga with your exercise buddies. And if you have questions about that, Pastor Fueling did a, a, a podcast that you should tap into there too. Laugh, cry, sit and wonder at the stars. Let your heart break over the weak and broken. Don't let your work consume you. Spend time with your kids. They grow up too fast. Give time and money to the needy. Spend time and money on yourself. Mourn with those who mourn. Party with those who party. And always give God the firsts of your life. And for God's sake, don't be foolish and waste your time. Be wise, make decisions, and enjoy the life God has given you. Final thing. Well, Craig, what if I blow it? What if I really ruin it and I don't do the revealed will of God? Can I then miss God's will? Well, the fact of the matter is, brothers and sisters, we blow it all the time. Sometimes we will not be wise in our walk. We will not do the revealed will of God. We will not redeem our time. We will not make decisions that are the best. It's what we do best. Satan's ploy, though, is to make us live a life that will waste a life in regret. That is what Satan does best. If Satan can get you to regret the decisions you've made in the past or the decisions that, that haunt you to this day, he can make you impotent for the future. God is not a God of regret. God is a God of redemption, forgiveness, and new beginnings. If you've wasted your time in personal ambition, blind ambition, hiding grudges, personally pursuing pleasure at the expense of somebody else, you have used your time foolishly. But the good news is, God's word is about redeeming broken time broken lives and broken people. The way that we do that is we confess our sins. We forgive, we receive forgiveness. We admit our fault. We find accountability with somebody that is more spiritual than ourselves and we crush our pride and we allow God to redeem our time again. I picked up a guy last week in my Uber. His friend had to call for him because he was drunk out of his skull. He said, will you take my friend home? I said, absolutely. Where do you want me to take him? He put it into the phone. We start to drive. I was just praying this guy wouldn't spew in my back seat. As we're driving along, he says, hey, can I ask you a, a, an embarrassing question? I said, sure. I'm like, I'm never gonna see you again. Sure, ask me whatever you want. He said, do you know where I can go to get some cocaine? I said, dude, 
I don't know that, and even if I did, I wouldn't take you. And then we started on a conversation that he began telling me who he used to be. He was a captain in the Air Force. He had people under him that he, that he told when to get up, when to go to bed. He proudly told me about, about these groups of people that he led. After he got out of the Air Force, he had two children. He, there's, there's still little babies now, all, both under the age of three. I said, dude, you have been given so much in life. What is wrong with you? Why, why, are, you, why are you throwing your life away? I've only known you for 10 minutes, and I can tell what kind of a person you are. And, 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 and he said, I don't like the person that I am. I said, well, who did you like? When did you like? He said, I liked it when I was a captain in the Air Force. I liked it when I had my life together. I said, well, dude, you can have that again. The way you do that, though, is you stop making stupid choices. You have got to give your life to Jesus Christ, get him to wash you off, which is what he does best, and then start making choices that would resemble what his will is for your life. I don't know if he even heard me. I don't know if he remembered the next day, but I tried to plant some seeds for that guy in my Uber car because that is the time God gave to me. This guy is so convinced that he's so screwed up that he can never get back on track. And I want to tell you, that's a ploy of the devil. God always tells us he has something greater for us right around the corner. The goal is we just seek his will, want that more than our own, and make choices wisely. Ultimately, God's power is more, or ultimately, God is more powerful than our wise or even stupid choices. God's power is greater than we could possibly imagine. And sometimes his power can even be seen better when we're broken and we're made new again. Peter was one of the best disciples according to his own resume. Uh, Peter, Peter was a, a disciple of Jesus Christ and he thought he was all that in a slice of cheese. And so when Jesus came to him that one day and said, Peter, I, I got to have a conversation with you. I met with Satan last night and we had a conversation about you. Peter would say, oh, well, that, that concerns me a little bit, but what was the conversation about? And Jesus said, listen, I want to tell you that before the night is through, everybody here is going to deny me. And Peter said, well, those losers might, but I never will. Andrew, we all know what a pansy he is. He's probably going to be first. Judas, I've never trusted him. John, he's a suck up. He's, he's probably on that list. But Jesus, you're talking to me. You and me, we're, we're tight. We're close. I'm the guy you go to when everybody else fails you. And Jesus said to Peter, I, well, I had a conversation with Satan and he said actually he wanted you. Now, can you imagine the son of God looked you in the eyeball and said, I had a conversation with Satan last night. He said he wants you. I'd be a little scared. So Jesus said, here's how he wants it. Here's how it's going to go down. You are going to deny me before this night is over. You're going to deny me. Unlike these other guys, they'll deny me once when they flee out of the garden. But you, you're going to deny me three times. Peter said, hang on a second. I'm not going to deny you once, much less three times. The night goes on. Peter has the opportunity to stand up for Christ. He does not. He denies Christ the first time. Do you remember that? Somebody said, do you know Jesus? He said, nope, don't know, don't know who he is. He could have stopped there. He could have said, wait a second, 
I remember what Jesus told me. He said, I'm going to deny him three times. I did it once, but I'm not doing it the last two. Next time comes along, hey, you were with Jesus too, weren't you? Peter says, no, never knew him. Oh, blew it again. That's two, but I'm not going to do the third one. He could have jumped off the rails right there. He could have he stopped the train. Third time comes along, and you know what happens. He said, Didn't, aren't you a disciple of Jesus? No, no, I've never seen that guy before. Three times. And after that, Peter ran out and wept bitterly. Do you remember that? A broken man. Because he had denied the, his friend, the Messiah, three times. Now, Peter could, have, Peter could have been absolutely useless at that point, and he should have been. He should have been. He denied the Son of God. Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father. Peter denied him before a lot of men and women. Peter could have been done. He went out and wept bitterly. He was a broken man, but instead, Jesus comes back, forgives him for what he's done. And Peter is able to accept that forgiveness, realize what he did, confess, admit, receive redemption, receive forgiveness. And then we have a brand new man in Acts chapter two. In Acts chapter two, Peter is able to stand up before all the theology leaders of the day. And in this big diatribe that he gives in front of all of these spiritual leaders of the day, these people that are confused about spirituality but are supposed to know everything about it, Peter stands up and says these words, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. I'll guarantee you that night that, Paul, that, that Peter denied Jesus, if you had went to him and you would have sat down with him and said, Peter, did you deny Jesus or did Jesus make you deny him because he said you were gonna do it three times? Peter would have said, I did it. It was all me. I chose every time. But when he gave this speech, look at what he says. He realized that there's a stronger plan of God always going on in the background and that he is a part of what God is doing. And that was according to the definite, look at this, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. I didn't crucify him, you did, because according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, Jesus needed to voluntarily give his life so that he could redeem all of humankind. Peter began to see how his choices flawed or positive as they were, fit into the overall plan of an almighty God. This is what I want to leave with your church, that God's plan is greater than our dumb choices and God can redeem even our flaws so that his will can be done through us every single day. Peter is not known as, in history as the man who failed Jesus, although he should be. He's known... He had it on his resume. He is known as the person who began turning the world upside down for Jesus Christ because he began to see God's greater plan for him. It was greater than his minute-by-minute -minute decisions, and that is God's plan for all of us as well. Whatever your view of God is, however flexible you see God's will to be, walk as a wise person. Redeem the time that you've been given. These days are indeed evil and you can know the will of God. Now do it. And when you drop the ball, which you will, and I will, when we drop the ball, we allow God to redeem those days for us. After all, that is what God does best. Let's pray. Father, it's a...
amazing thing to contemplate your will and how our will intersects with that plan. And yet we know that you have a definite plan for each one of us and for this world, a plan that cannot be thwarted by our menial existence, but a plan that has been laid out from the beginning of time. Thank you for giving us a part in your plan. We know who we are. You have made us aware of who we are. And yet you seek to, be, to use us as a part of what you're doing in this world. And I thank you for that. I thank you that we can be light in the dark, even through the minor choices that we make. May our gut develop over time so that we can know and do your will more confidently and more accurately as we grow closer to the image of your son. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.